This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 1, Episode 51, Preparing for a Bonefish Trip. Get a lot of clients who are getting ready to go on bonefish trips and they're hiring me to teach them what they need to know. After all these trips and my experiences in the past, I've compiled this podcast of all that information. So hope you enjoy. And I just want to um, start the podcast off by saying I've never landed a bonefish. So just get that out of the way. It hasn't happened for me. All right. This podcast is brought to you by... The Bonefish Flat, J.T. Griffin, he's a local Northern Virginian, and we also live in the same dorm, freshman year college. We're both Mary Wash alums. He runs a website called thebonefishflat.com. I asked him what I should include for somebody that is going on their first bonefish trip. He said his two cents are get a guide and practice your casting. He tells folks that flats fishing is also much more weather dependent. It's usually very windy, and if it's cloudy, it's impossible to see fish. And for more of JT's experiences, go to his website. This podcast is brought to you by vestpack.com. So how the shout-out would be then to JT, and the sponsor this week, or this episode, is Vestpack. I recently received a sample from them, which is a hydration system chest pack for fly fishing, the Drift Pack. This is the most comfortable fishing vest you will ever wear, plus the added hydration guarantees that while walking, you are staying hydrated. It is made from a very special 3D mesh that will keep you cool while fishing. The Velcro pack is for fly boxes or anything else that I could add to the system. Just attach the margin, the marine-grade Velcro, and in 24 hours, it will be securely attached. They also included a tackle roll bag, which is a great product. It can be attached to the boat with the Velcro. Boat patch can be attached to the back of the drift pack if I need to take it with me. And if dropped, it floats. I hopefully will be quite amazed with how all this storage fits on my chest and on my boat and will keep me hydrated. It is a very well thought out product. I was going to wear it while I did the podcast, but um, it's in the closet right now. It's got Velcro on dry fly, fly dryers, I should say. 
It also has zinger attachments built into it. It is ready to go. You just have to put your flies in it, fill it with water, and put your hemostats and your nippers on it. So without further ado, let's get to the meat and bones of the podcast. So bonefish. Well, I had never even heard of a bonefish growing up. The first time I ever heard of a bonefish was George Herbert Walker Bush catching a possible or a world record. This must have been in sixth or seventh grade for me, and I didn't really know much about them. And of course, I grew up watching ESPN, ESPN2 on Saturday mornings. In college, I'd wake up early with a hangover. In high school, I would wake up early sometimes with a hangover too on Saturdays, and I'd watch the fly fishing shows, Spanish Fly, Walker K Chronicles, that guy Mark Sosin who would just talk way too much in Fly Fish America, Fly Fish the World. I got a lot of bonefish hours timed and clocked in with Walker's K Chronicle. So that that show we all watched. It's a well-famous one. What I'm going to talk about in this podcast today, bonefish taxonomy, bonefish distribution, bonefish morphology, bonefish reproduction, bonefish behavior, guides, the gear you're going to need, the casting that is extremely important, the flies that are super important, understanding tides and books and resources for all of this. And I never really thought I was ever going to go bone fishing, but I had the opportunity in the winter of 1999 to 2000 to work at Grand Slam Outfitters in Key Largo. And I got the chance to go out on flats boats and do a lot of wade fishing for bonefish. I tell you, I hooked one in the maybe two months I was there, less than two months, half the winter. Awesome experience, loved it, gained a lot of knowledge working with some very famous guides down there, picking their ears, annoying them with questions, and just trying to learn as much as I could about bone fishing. And to prepare for that, I did a lot of reading before I went down there. And since then, uh, you know, I read articles, watch the fishing shows, and I've been bone fishing since, but you still haven't landed one. So here's what you need to know about bonefish. Some of this should be flashback to the previous podcasts on fish. They are members of the Actinopterygii, or the ray-finned fishes. Their fins have rays in them. Their family, or their their group, um, they're, they're albu- albuliformes. Al- A-L-B-U, alba, albus means white in Latin. Families albulidae, which consists of 12 species of bonefish in two genera. The genre is albula nae, N-A-E. Albula, I already said, means Latin. Albus means white. So I'm sorry. Albus, albula in Latin means white. Albula vulps is their scientific name. So albula is the genus. Vulps is the species. This was first described by Carolus Linnaeus or Carl von Linné, however you want to pronounce his name, in 1758. It translates to the white fox. Bonefish have a wide distribution. Basically, a belt around sort of equatorial areas, sub-equatorial, tropical. Hawaii, West African, Eastern Pacific, which would be California to Peru, the Western Atlantic, which would be North Carolina to Brazil, although I've heard of one being caught in the Potomac River in past. And somewhere I found that one was once caught in Canada, so who knows? Maybe they're just taking that Gulf Stream straight up, and we get tarpon in the Chesapeake Bay, Manatees that have been tagged in Florida have been found up in the Chesapeake Bay. So who knows, you know, what these fish are doing if they're getting the currents and they're riding up. But they do have a wide distribution and you're usually going to find them in warm tropical places. Bonefish are found up to 84 feet deep. However, usually no deeper than 15 feet. They can go shallow enough that their dorsal fins may show out of the water. They prefer coastal waters, reefs, shallows, estuaries, bays, grass flats, sand and mud bottoms, and other brackish areas at depths of 0 to 84 meters. They tolerate oxygen-poor water by inhaling air into a lung-like air bladder. The morphology of the bonefish. It's a very distinctive-looking fish. Maximum length, 104 centimeters. Maximum weight has been 18 pounds. That was not the same fish. It was not a 104 centimeter long, 18 pound fish. The average length is 35 centimeters. The fish is elongate. You can describe it as fusiform, 
which means having a spindle-like shape that is wide in the middle and tapers at both ends. They are slightly compressed with a rounded belly. The bonefish head is conical in shape. It is scaleless and blackish in color near the tip of the snout. So when you see a bonefish, everything from the head back is scaled. Everything from the head up is nice and smooth. They have a ventral mouth, like a vacuum cleaner. Bluntly conical snout extends beyond the inferior mouth. What we learned in previous podcasts is that a fish with a ventral mouth is evolved to eat things off of the ocean floor. The term vacuum cleaner is very much like that. They go along the bottom sucking things up. They have granular teeth forming specialized dental plates that cover the bonefish's tongue and upper jaw and similar grinders are also present in the throat, helping fish grind its prey. If it's quiet enough on the flats, you can actually hear them crunching crabs and mollusks and clams and other bivalves. They have a very large eye with a clear lens, which gives them spectacular vision. They have a bluish to greenish tint on the back with dark streaks between the scale rows and the upper half of the body. They have a white belly. We know in previous podcasts, this is called counter shading. Organisms that look down on them, which would be birds of prey, are going to see a dark dorsal, which blends in with the backgrounds they're in. The light belly helps them if something sees them from the side, they blend in better. And from the side, they are mirror-like. They have silvery reflective scales, which reflects the sand and water around them. Think of it as Harry Potter's invisibility cloak. Their caudal fin or tail is forked. We know in previous podcasts that forked tailed fish are extremely fast. Shad are one, the alosas, and the scombridge, the tunas and mackerels. Forked tails super fast. The base of the pectoral fins is yellow, and the dorsal fin is located around the midline of the body. Bonefish reproduction. Now, if you want to learn more about reproduction specifically, you can listen to the podcast by Orvis and Zach Matthews on Bonefish and Tarpon Trust with... Aaron Adams, and uh, Marshall Cutchin. Bonefish spawning occurs year-round in deep water offshore where currents can easily disperse the developing eggs and larvae to other locations. Bonefish are generally less reproductively active during the hotter summer months. I mean, who wants to get it on when it's all hot and you got to be gasping for air? I mean, really? They reach sexual maturity in about two years, and near-right females may be as small as 23 centimeters long. Eggs hatch into ribbon-like leptocephalus larvae with forked tails. Leptocephalus means slim head. The larvae transform from this clear ribbon-like larvae into a more fish-like form once they reach about 5 centimeters, at which point they move closer ashore. Their minimum population doubling time is estimated to be between 1.4 and 4.4 years. Let's talk about bonefish behavior. you got to know what they're doing in order to catch them. you got to know their routines, where they're going to be, when, and why. And that's what your guide is for. You definitely want to be spending the money on your first trip to hire a guide. Now, I can say I've never hired a guide for bonefish. I've gone out with people, and I've done DIY. And one of the guys I fished with actually works with, who was I just talking to? I was talking to somebody that knows a guy named Mike Deegan. Mike and I fished together. He was the fly rep for the shop I worked at in the Keys. And Mike now works up here somewhere. It's a small world. Anyway, larger adults tend to feed alone or in small groups. Now, in the, the Keys, you're going to have larger bonefish more north, Biscayne Bay, around Miami, around Key Largo. And the Keys generally have larger fish, but fewer of them. And you can get smaller bonefish in more quantities in places such as the Bahamas and Andros and Christmas Island. You know, the bonefish in Hawaii are also known to be very big and more solitary. So big adults tend to feed alone or in small groups. They don't really want to, you know, share their food. They're big. They know what's going on. They're, they're educated about their surroundings. They don't have to have the safety in numbers, if you will. The juveniles feed and travel in schools. Bonefish will come onto flats to feed as the tide rises and exposes food. Now think of this as a buffet where somebody is uncovering the steam trays from right to left. Food is gradually opening up 
as they go laterally. So as water comes on, the first part of the flat is ring the, the deeper spot is where you're going to find the first fish. And then the water creeps up a couple inches. They can go a little further and then it gets a little deeper. They can go a little further and then until they get all the way up into the mangroves. Mangroves, by the way, are going to be on the eastern side of continents. So we're talking more of the Caribbean side. Florida has got them. We're the west coast of Central America. It doesn't really have as much mangroves. And that's the tropical climates. You have mangroves, tropical, subtropical, as your barrier along the ocean. That's what absorbs storm surge. It's where the juvenile fish live. It's a very important microhabitat. Once you get into more northern or southern climes away from that, the temperate regions like where I am in, in Virginia, the coastal areas have salt marshes. That acts as the estuaries in you know, the Chesapeake Bay is all salt marshes. And that's where the juvenile fish are going to be raised. All right. So they're going to come out of the flats as the tide rises. As the tide drops, they're going to make their way out. And we have the same same thing out here. Like I know, a four-mile run in Virginia where I do all my winter fishing. It's tidal. you got about... One mile of, uh, you know, 50 yard wide kind of canal and the fish come up with the high tide to feed on the crabs and the worms and the mussels and clams and snails. And then they go back out with the tide. So high tide, you're going to find snakeheads, largemouth bass, striped bass, carp, catfish, blue. I mean, everything's going to be up around the fall line, which is Mount Vernon Avenue. And then as the tide drops, they go back out into the deeper water because they get they can get caught and they can be eaten by raccoons or who knows what else is going to come out and grab them. I already mentioned that these fish have ventral mouths. It's on the bottom. So they're going to root around in sand or mud and in the grasses or they're going to chase down their food. So you have to think about what your fly does in the water to mimic the food that they're going after, be it a stationary object or something that is fleeting away from them. Bonefish are very skittish. They're very sensitive to sound. So don't be making noise. They can smell things incredibly well. So, um, you know, you don't want to be doing anything too stinky and shadows will spook them. When I was out with Mike Deegan and Mike Sfakianos, Mike, if you're listening to this, Sfakianos, still haven't found you. I hope I can pronounce your name when I Google you. He was one of the greatest casters ever. The tarpon toad fly, he was tying something like that way back in the day in the 90s. And he had these flies. He was doing custom orders. I, I got sexiled from the shop's I, condo where I was staying with the owner. So his girlfriend would come into town. I get sexiled. That's when you get kicked out for somebody to have relations. So I'd go to stay with Mike's house. And Mike, I'd see him with all his tying stuff. He's an incredible tire. And we were out one day in canoes around John Pennycamp State Park on the outskirts of the park. And the cormorant flew over and I mean, these bonefish just exploded to head to deeper water just from that shadow passing over them. When they're feeding, their snout is going to be down. When rooting around, the tail will be up. That's the term tailing. When a fish is nose deep, it sticks its tail up in the air. So you're going to see these fins and tails exposed. When they're rooting around, they're going to be more focused. They're looking down. They're not going to be able to see as much going around them, but they're always aware. That's what bonefish do. They know what's going on all around them. They feed on a plethora of organisms from worms, clams, shrimp, fish, crabs, other things we'll talk about in a bit. And when hooked, these fish are not in deep water. There's Granted, there's channels that go through a flat, but the only place for them to go is laterally. So they are going to go on runs. And when we talk about gear, you got to have the reel that's ready to fight this fish. So I talked about things that they're skittish about. So bonefish, they don't like noise. Now, I can blame a lot of this on Ralph Curd. Bonefish don't like Ralph Curd. He was the shop owner, manager. He ran the whole shebang when I was in Key Largo. And I'd go out with him at like 4 in the morning, and he would have... Instead of a thermos, he would take literally the glass pitcher pot from the coffee machine. And that thing would be sliding around and clanking, and he'd always be falling and slipping on the boat. He'd be dropping his cigar ashes in the water. He would lift up his shorts and piss in the water so you know that whatever was in his system all of a sudden was dispersed for all these fish to smell. 
and he made a lot of noise. The guy would fall when he was climbing up on the flats platform. He would just do all sorts of just things that you don't want to do when you're stalking and hunting an organism. So most of the times I was out on the boat, it was with him. And that just, I mean, I, I really do think that has something to do with it. The guy was nuts. He was known for um, just destroying flats boats, cracking hulls, going out in the middle of the night. I'd have to have a flashlight, you know, a big mag light on the front of the boat while he was gunning it out in the dark. He would hit trees that were... Uh, he once um, hit a sandbar. The guy was just freaking nuts. And the last thing I heard was he got his butt kicked by one of the guides because the guide stopped. He stopped paying the guides, and he disappeared. It took me a while to get my money when I worked for the guy. So a lot of stuff I, I really do blame on Ralph. The DIY stuff, that's just you know what I'm talking about on this podcast, what I've learned since then. They also don't like the smells. I mentioned urinate in the water. Sunscreen is another thing. You definitely want to use the Fisherman's Sunscreen by Dermatone. Dermatone sunscreen is odorless and scentless. It's like Iocane powder. The fish cannot detect it. It also will not do any damage to your fly lines. It is perfectly safe. They don't like shallow water where they're going to get stuck. They don't like dolphins. If you see dolphins in the water, you know there's no bonefish around. Dolphins like to eat bonefish. They don't like sharks. Oftentimes when you hook a bonefish, a shark might come after it. If there's sharks on the flats, you know, little bonnet heads are probably safe. But lemon sharks, nurse sharks, gray reef sharks, some of the bigger ones are going to be more predatory upon bonefish. And if they see them, they're not going to be around. And last but not least, I just have to mention again, bonefish don't like Ralph Curd. So guides. DIY, definitely hard. I've done DIY in... The Keys, anywhere from the northernmost part of Key Largo all the way down to Bahia Onda State Park. I've done DIY in the island of Kauai, and I've done DIY on the island of Oahu, which you already know because you listen to that podcast. DIY is very hard because it's it's difficult. Bonefish are not easy to catch by yourself. So you want to hire a guide. It's going to be expensive. You're going to be looking to pay several hundred dollars, especially in the Keys, for a bonefish guide. They work hard. They're mostly salty, old, crusty dudes. Definitely have to buy them dinner. And you're going to have to tip them well. These guys are out in that sun, pulling and pushing your boat around the flats all day. They put in the hours. They're going to get exhausted. Got to pay well. Let's talk about the gear you're going to need. You hire a guide. Hopefully, they're going to have everything for you. If you're doing DIY, this is what you need. Smaller bonefish, we're talking you know, some of the little ones, the Bahamas. Nine foot, six weight, four piece. Got to have travel rods. Most of the bonefish you're going to be doing, you can get away with a nine foot, eight weight, four piece. Like I said, four piece, four piece, four piece. You're traveling. Andy Mill, who is with Gray's and Hardy's, is going to tell you to get the one piece rods from Gray's, from Hardy. One piece rod, you can't really travel with it that well, but you can ship it to the destination somehow, have it waiting there for you. One piece rod, fewer things to go wrong. And when I worked in Key Largo, the number one rod we sold was nine foot nine weight. The bonefish are going to be big. You got to be thrown in the winds. You need heavier line. And you're just going to get worked out on those flats if it's windy. So you need that big line. You're not doing a whole lot of casting. That guide is going to put you on the fish, and then you're going to cast. And from there, you're going to hook the bonefish. Hopefully it's big, and it's going to pull some line out, and you need that backbone. Fly line, clear tip, floating or sink tip. Get the Rio Bonefish Quick Shooter line. We already had representatives from Rio. We had Simon on back in January talking about that new line for this year. If you're on Instagram, you follow April Vokey today. It's uh, it's May 16th. She's headed to Belize today, and she took a picture of an entire bag stocked with Rio lines for bonefish. I'm assuming she's going out there to product test for them. You're going to need extra lines and backing. Two reasons you need extra line is, uh, sorry if I'm mumbling there a little bit. I haven't had a drink yet. All right. Um, extra lines. The lines are going to go over coral. They're going to go over rocks. They're going to go across mangroves. Coral is extremely sharp. It is a calcareous organism secretion. So it's, it's like broken glass. Rocks are going to be, you know, mostly limestone, or just old coral, which is basically limestone. It's calcium carbonate. 
It's going to slice your line up. Your lines can get cut in half if a bonefish goes over or around a coral head. Mangroves are going to have barnacles on them and other hardened creatures. And if they go across mangroves, they're going to slice your line. I'm not talking about a fish going into like an entire mangrove forest. But there might be just a stand of mangroves. And eventually a stand collects more sand. And that eventually becomes in itself like an island or a a backwoods mangrove area. But have extra of everything. And when I was on the boat one day with Ralph, we were fishing with uh, our Orvis Vortex reel. And we had a bonefish on. It wasn't me. It was this kid who was down there. He was on some TV show for a while on ESPN. I forget his name. It was a really cocky dude. I, I really didn't get along with the guy at all. He just thought he was the cat's pajamas, if I want to use uh, a safe term here for the kids listening. So he hooks a bonefish. It's screaming out. The line is peeling off the reel. Now, the screw that holds the paddle handle to the vortex reel came loose, and the backing went across the screw and sliced the line, the backing, and that bonefish took off with everything. So that was the one real chance I ever got to see bonefish my time at the Keys down there. You're going to need a buff. Sun kills people. It is a killer. You want to be protected from the sun. A buff is a tubular piece of fabric that goes over your neck and your ears and your face and get the SPF cool max ones. My newest cool max one is project healing waters, but I also have the Dorado colored one. I've got one with bonefish on it. I've got just a blue pattern one and I've got one with skull and crossbones. I like buffs. Sims makes one other companies make them. Patagonia makes them basically, you know, buff sort of becomes like the term, like Kleenex, sort of like the brand name, just say, Oh, I need a Kleenex, but it could be like a Scott brand or target brand tissue. So buff is going to be the device that you're going to wear to cover your skin and protect you. Also at dusk, you're going to get the noceums, which are small biting flies. You don't see them. There are no seams or tiny, but man, they bite sun gloves. You can make, get them by buff Patagonia Sims, other companies make them. Uh, my friends over at Tightline Tails, Morgan, he really likes a company called 12 Weight. These are just going to keep the sun off your hands. You can always tell someone's age by looking at the back of their hands. And uh, your hands usually don't get a lot of sunscreen on them, so you definitely want to protect them. Also, it will protect your fingers from line running out. Sunglasses are going to be extremely important. I'm going to tell you rose lens or amber lens, but... Costa Del Mar green mirrored amber lens with a strap. Not one pair, but multiple pairs. And also have a pair of Costas with the sunrise yellow lens for overcast and cloudy days. There's no more important thing when bone fishing than your sunglasses. Forget your rod, forget your flies. You know I say cheap rod, expensive glasses because any rod is going to catch a fish. It's not the rod that catches the fish, it's you. But not all glasses are made the same. My clients will put on my Costas weekly and say holy S and drop an S-bomb because the clarity and crispness of what they see in those glasses, it makes all the difference in the world. And you want the straps so they don't fall off. And don't let your wife take your Costas on vacation because she's going to lose them and claim they got stolen and now i got to deal with insurance or something. I, I, who knows if they got stolen, but I'm out a pair of like $250 Costas. You got to be hydrated. You're out in the sun and the wind all day. Gatorade, water. Hey, if you're waiting, take the vest pack with you. You got the hydration system in the back. If you're taking chest packs, hip packs, make sure you got water bottles in them. Definitely make sure it's some kind of non-alcoholic beverage that is not going to dehydrate you and something that's going to put extra calories into you and extra nutrients to keep you from getting dehydrated. Also, will keep your skin hydrated, which will help you from getting a sunburn. You're going to need a shade-providing hat, preferably one that covers the ears. You know, you've got your sunglasses, your first line of locating these fish. The second thing is the shade provided around you to block off ambient sun. Lefty Crane, his book, 50 or 100 Tips for Fishing, always said, get a hat with a black underside of the bill. If you don't have a black underside, you shoe polish. That will keep the light reflecting into your eyes from your hat. I'd also suggest getting the black strips I'm going to start wearing those this summer that, you know, football players wear just to keep that light from reflecting in my eyes. And when I was in Africa on safari, I learned that's how you can tell what kind of big cat hunts during the day and what hunts during the night. Cheetahs hunt during the day. 
They've got black majority under their eyes to absorb the light, whereas lions and uh, I don't know what else, leopards maybe, uh, the lions have got white under their eyes. That is to reflect light into their eyes so they can see better at night. So football players basically got that from Mother Nature. It was already developed before football was invented. I already mentioned Dermatone sunscreen. You need that for your ears, your face, your nose. You definitely want to also have a stick of sunscreen that you can just break out and coat your nose with, and you're going to want an SPF lip balm. For your feet, if you're going to be wading, you need flats boots. I'd go with Sims, Patagonia, or Orvis. You want one that's going to have a sturdy tread on them where coral cannot go through it or sea urchins. Before flats boots were even a thing, I was fishing in Florida as a kid, and I stepped on a sea urchin, and it went through my foot. And I don't go in the ocean. Well, I also hate sand. I will never be on sand barefoot. So I'm always going to be wearing something on my foot to protect. You also want the top of your foot protected in case stingrays come by. And you step on a stingray, what's it going to do? It's going to turn around and stick that barb into the top of your foot. If you watched Ocean's Deadliest with Philippe Cousteau, it aired several years ago. It talked about the stonefish, which is in Australia. You step on that thing, you're pretty much dead. So there are noxious, poisonous things in the ocean, not just sharp rocks. That can cut you, harm you, poison you, kill you, injure your feet. If your feet are ruined, say the first day of your trip, you are not going to be out on the flats again for a while because you're injured. If you're on the boat, you need boat shoes, non-marking. If you go on, you know, like tennis courts, they don't let you on with certain soles. You don't want to mess up somebody's boat. My boat is aluminum. As long as you don't have spikes, I don't care what you wear. But on a white flats boat, you do not want to be wearing something that's going to mark up their boat. And for me, I used to get the worst calf cramps after being on that boat all day, going up and down. So another thing to be st- stay hydrated is, uh, you know, for for cramp issues, but to f- comfortable footwear. I know they make Crocs that for this. You know, I'm going to say Chaco flip flops. That's what I wear. Non-marking Vibram sole, and they are extremely comfortable. And that's all I wear this time of year. Your torso, you want to keep something light and airy on you to protect you from the sun and bugs. So the term casting shirt, everybody's got them. They have them by, you know, every every company's got one. Bells and whistles, pockets, badger tractors, vents, straps, zippers, you name it. Make, make it light, make it SPF proof. I have uh, a new shirt that I was given by my friends at Pro Guide Direct. It is... Like the Patagonia Silk Weight, but like thinner, it is next to skin. I don't feel like I'm wearing anything when I'm wearing that. They will be available on the Pro Guide Direct website soon, according to Chris. And I would 100% tell you to wear that in the summer. It is the most comfortable shirt I have ever worn. And I got a free one. I'm going to be buying more because when I find something I like, I'm going to get multiples of them. Make sure that your wrists are covered between your gloves because that's a spot where you're going to get sun. And make sure you can move around in that shirt. When you try it on, practice casting in the store. Move your arms around. Make sure that you've got full motility in that shirt. You're going to want quick-dry shorts or quick-dry pants. One thing I always do when I'm wearing quick-dry pants is I get them two inches shorter. So I wear like a 32, 33. I'm going to get a 30 because when they're wet, they tend to sag a little bit, and I don't want it going under my heel. My preference is the Bass Pro Shops, Tropic Wear, they're sage green, turbo comfortable. They fit me perfectly. I love them. And you want to be able to, you know, have pockets in them for a granola bar, a power bar, your lip balm, other other little things. If you're out DIY or following a guide, you want to have a chest pack or vest pack, something that's waterproof, preferably. Preferably. You don't want to get that thing submerged if you fall, if you get caught in a deep uh, channel or cut. You don't want to have to get everything in there wet because salt water corrodes everything. So also make sure the zippers on and everything are the good kind that are not going to rust and fall apart. The tools you're going to need, stainless steel nippers, stainless because, again, rusting, hemostats, pliers, and other tools. Uh, you want to have a tie fast knot tool with you. You want to have something to make sure you can get Hooks out of toothy critters because you're probably going to catch barracuda and puffer fish. You do not want to get your fingers near a puffer fish's mouth. It is nasty. It's like a trash compactor. It'll take your fingers off. Hook file. That was the first time I ever got into using hook files when I was in the Keys. 
make sure that hook is sharp. They always say if you can scratch the back of your fingernail that it's sharp enough. If you're bouncing that thing off of rocks and coral and tree branches, it's going to get dull. And you're not flying somewhere and spending all this money so you can lose fish on a bent, dull hook. You might want a stripping basket. When I was in Oahu, I met Brent Dawson, who runs Warpath Flies. Really awesome fly tire. He's in what movie was they were filming it there? And I was supposed to meet up with him, but I never did. It's um Soulfish 2 is the movie. And he had a William Joseph hit pack with a pop-out stripping basket. Absolutely brilliant, well thought out product. And that's just gonna keep your line from getting busted up and, and rolling waves in the current. Stripping guard for your finger when that fish runs, you don't want it to slice up your index finger. That's what I would suggest for your gear bag. And I was just at the Orvis days at Arlington and Dan did a great little demo on how to pack for a trip. He's going bone fishing soon. He took the plastic bags you use for produce and he put those inside of his wading boots and then stuffed them with all of his clothing. And he said that it's easier to put them things in there with a slick liner. He also, what are they? Oh, some other good tricks from him. I can't remember. I tweeted about them. So if you follow me on Twitter at Rob Snow White, go back to May 4th. You'll find the pictures of what Dan was doing. Very clever stuff. All right, casting. This is the big thing that I have to help people with who are going on bonefish trips for the first time or need to tune up for their bonefish trip. Practice casting in grass and water. Preferably on or in water, you need that hydrogen bond between your line and the water to help you cast. It's either adhesion or cohesion. I can't remember biochemistry, go back to the water podcast. Casting on grass is fine. I always suggest people put go to the dollar store and get some Frisbees, put out some baseball hats, some plates, whatever, and pretend those are fish that you're casting at. Your accuracy is probably the most important thing you can have with your casting to put that fly where you need it to go, when you need it to go. Be able to cast into the wind. Also, Cast at kids and pets in the grass. You know, put your kid out, let them crawl around. If it's a toddler, just cast at it. It's a moving target. Um, I used to toss um, a squeaky toy to my dog when he was a puppy and fight him on the one way. That was always good fun practice with the one way. Be able to cast into the wind. The wind is open out there. It's going to brutally destroy your confidence when you get there. However wind you think it's going to be, it's going to be windier. Minimum cast 30 feet. You don't always have to throw 70, 80 foot cast. You don't have to be left to cray throwing that huge cast. The bonefish I hooked was maybe two rod lengths away. So that's maybe 18 feet. Know the clock. When you're standing on the tip of the boat and the guide says bonefish, 10 o'clock, 10 yards, you need to be able to drop your fly from your fingers and in one cast, pop it out there without even thinking about it. If they say 60 feet, one o'clock, you have to be able to turn, pick up and cast. So know your clock. When the guide says nine o'clock, don't be looking to your right. When they say two o'clock, don't be looking to your left. You are going to get profanity spewed at you like you have never heard. Be able to cross cast, be able to take that fly, go left Shoulder across to the right side. If it's super windy, throw it across your chest. Be able to cast across the boat. Be able to cast to a moving target. Be able to anticipate where that fish is going to be and when and get the fly to it. Work on your delicate presentation. These fish are very susceptible and skittish. They don't like noise. Your fly slapping the water, your line slapping the water will spook them. Make a delicate presentation. Make sure you can throw the fewest amount of casts as possible. You don't want your line going back and forth over the air, false casting, spooking the fish, increasing your chances of tangle, increasing your chance of breaking your rod. Walk or float in the boat with one hand holding your rod and line, the other hand pinching your fly between your index finger and your thumb. Be able to drop that fly Throw line, shoot it, and cast. Be ready to throw that fly at the moment's notice. Be able to aim your cast in front and to the side of the fish. Know 
scared organisms run toward the thing that's scaring them. They go away from them. Your fly should never go at the bonefish. It should always be going away in the peripherals of the fish. It should be going away from them because it is going to get eaten. Any shrimp or fish is going to be fleeing away for their life. Make sure your fly is acting like that. Crabs, they're not the fastest, but they're going to be moving away because they don't want us to get eaten. And when I was in Kauai, I was hanging out with some people, the locals, and they gutted a bonefish they caught. And it had nickel-sized pink crabs in it. So remember that for Kauai. So the most important thing I can tell you is that working on your cast. I have a client who went out for redfish. Mike, we worked on casting in a field. We were casting at my kid. He went down for redfish. So this is not just bonefish, redfish also. He went down to New Orleans for conference where he was preparing for the trip with me. And he, he caught fish. He said he would have caught a ton more if he could have cast into that wind. He knew it was going to be windy and bad. He didn't realize how bad it was going to be. Be prepared for the worst. Be able to cast. If it's super windy, a front comes in, get out there and cast into it. If you live in D.C., I always do my practice casting lessons either on four-mile run or gravelly point. Open places with a lot of wind. The books. Dick Brown, he wrote the book on bonefish. I think Chica Fernandez also wrote a great one. I haven't read it, but the Dick Brown book, as someone with a biology background, to me it read like a textbook. I was an engineer way back in the day with no training. So if you ever park your car at the Dollar Rent a Car at Dulles Airport, that's my parking lot. I supervised all that construction. And I would sit there on the hood of my car that October, November in 99, before I went to Florida, reading his book with a highlighter like it was a textbook. It has so much information. That was a long time ago. It's been updated. He was at the Somerset show. And I really wanted to talk to him. I'll have to do it next year. So Dick Brown, the Orvis intro to saltwater fishing by Conway Bowman and the Orvis book by Aaron Adams of Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Definitely want to read those. They are great resources for all of this. I also have a Barry and Kathy Beck book on bonefish. And I just basically bought whatever Orvis sold or could sell or what I could get on half.com at the time to read up on bonefish. If you're from Maryland, you say bonefish. Flies. Super important. When I showed up to Key Largo with my bonefish puffs and crazy Charlies and nasty Charlies and gotchas, those guides at the bar that night spit their beers out laughing at me because what they throw in the keys is not what they throw in the Caribbean, which is where all my background on flies had been. And also I'd gotten all these bonefish flies for a dollar at the Orvis warehouse sale, like a two pounds of flies for a dollar, whatever I could fit into a bin. They sold me. So your flies, um, I already mentioned representing fleeting organisms. You need to vary the size of your fly, the weight of your fly, whether they have weed guards or not, and the color. If you're fishing over grass, thalacia, which is turtle grass, you need weed guards. I remember sitting at Subway in Key Largo with Mike Deegan and Mike Svacchianos, and I was amazed because they sold beer at Subway. It was the greatest thing ever. And just sitting there getting a sandwich and taking all of our flies out and putting mono weed guards on them because in the morning, everything was getting caught up. Mira, she was the manager at Orvis when I first started working there in 99. Her honeymoon was to Belize, and she said her flies were too heavy. They were sinking too fast and splashing too fast. So bead chain eyes for her would have been better than like tungsten beads or uh, tungsten dumbbells. Your color. Light organisms live on light-colored backgrounds. Dark-colored organisms live on dark color. So if you're fishing over sand, your shrimp and bait fish are going to be more of a tan, peachy color. If you're on grass, they're going to be greens, olives, and browns. Coral, they can be multiple colors because coral has different organisms that make it up and have different colors. Have a wide variety of colors of the same pattern and have the same pattern with different types of weight. Dan showed me a really cool crab pattern that Orvis sells that's got sliding beads on it. And when it lands in the water, those beads make the sand puff up and they also make it rattle and the sand will swallow up those beads and you can't see them. So it helps it sink down, but it's not seen. 
And I was listening to a recent Tom Rosenbauer podcast, not recent, it's last year, I'm way behind. He says he prefers his bonefish flies to make noise, but when he fishes with Aaron Adams, Aaron prefers his bonefish flies to be silent. So I hope that explains. And I was going to get a fly catalog out and read off bonefish flies. Uh, you get any fly fishing catalog, Orvis, LL Bean, The Fly Shop, that's like porn to me. Go through and look at those patterns. There's a lot of go-to patterns out there. Your flies are going to represent what a bonefish feeds upon. Cephalopods are squids and cuttlefish. Benthic or bottom crustaceans, shrimp, clams, prawns, mollusks, clams and mussels, annelids, which are worms, polychaete worms, and bait fish. So things you need are going to be like clouser minnows in different colors, weights, and sizes. Made out of different materials like fox fur, craft fur, bucktail, calf tail, and then super hair, which is what, when I got to Oahu, you know, I showed the guys at Nervous Waters my fly box. They're like, no, dude, these fish here, they eat mantis shrimp. I didn't really have any mantis shrimp patterns. So what I did was I tied up peachy, clear colored super hair and then took an orange Sharpie and made lines on it. I didn't catch any bonefish, but it looked pretty filthy in the water. Worms are going to be like zonker flies, rubber wormies, mollusks and clams, mussels. They have fly patterns for those. Shrimps are huge. I already mentioned that. You have Borsky sliders. Tim Borsky's a uh, painter and tire in Florida. Um, prawns, clams, all those. Squid and cuttlefish don't know too many patterns, but you know your, your crabs, you're going to have all sorts of like turn F flat crab. You're going to have your merkin. You're going to have your flexo crabs. There's so many different patterns out there. So have a wide variety of flies, different shapes, colors, and materials to vary what these fish are going to be eating on. Tides, I already mentioned them. Fish will go away on the outgoing tide to seek deeper water and shelter. They will come back onto the flats with incoming tide. And now to wrap this up, uh, some websites, bonefishandtarpentrust.org, Dick Brown, definitely go to the Bonefish Flat, watch all the Buccaneer and Bone shows. I was just out of my parents' house and discovered they've got World Fishing Network. So for a couple of days, I've been glued to their TV watching all these shows. I hope that gives you an idea of what to expect on your first bonefish trip. I hope that gives you an idea of what I do when I, as a consultant and guide, help people who are going on bonefish trips. It's usually once a month, if not more, that I get somebody that's headed on a business trip. My brother's been doing some work in the Caribbean on some nameless island that you have to take a boat to. There's no electricity. He said at dusk, the bonefish come up by the hundreds and I'm going next time. I'm going to become a one of those people that can contort themselves. I'm going to go in his luggage and I'm going to go after these bonefish. You know, go to the lodges. My friend Haywood Curry runs a lodge in Belize. There's famous ones. I, Haywood, I'm sorry, man. I'm forgetting the name of your, your lodge right now, but you can look up Haywood Curry. There's the famous ones, Turnef, uh, Christmas Island. So, you know, people have been fishing for bonefish since saltwater fly fishing started, you know, 70 years ago, started with bamboo rods and click and Paul reels. And now it's gotten to crazy high technology composite rods, reels. The lines are matched up. Everything's at your feet. You know, the world is your oyster. Go after these fish, take what I've told you today and write it down. I want to give a shout out at the end here to Jason. He redid the website. Producer Jason also HTML Jason, so please go to robsnowwhite.com. I want to thank those of you who have been giving some feedback on iTunes. That makes me feel loved, and I know people are listening. And a couple people at their latest Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders beer tie said they've been listening to the podcast. So I know people are listening, and I'm not just doing this to uh, entertain myself and have fun and uh, writing stuff down. So the next podcast is going to be called So You Want to Be a Guide. After that, we're going to do alternative locations for fly tying materials requested by Aaron O of TPFR. And then after that, I'm going to do small streams, which I uh, just thought about doing after taking my client, John, to the creek nearby to do some trout fishing. Fortunately, John has got a full-time job, so he's um, back to the 9-to-5 grind, but hopefully he's going to be able to get out because uh, – 
It's going to be getting some good striper fishing at night in the next month or so. Thanks for downloading this podcast. Please check me out on Twitter, Instagram. If you want to help support the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, please go to my website and click on the Pro Guide Direct link. Please support the companies that are on the bottom of my website. They're the ones who support me and help me do this. This is my only source of income. I am married, but my only job is fly fishing. So I thank you for downloading, and I look forward to talking to you all in the next podcast. Jason, take it away. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.